We're continuing our look at the book of 1 Thessalonians today. We're actually getting very close to the end of the book. We're in the final chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and uh, we're going to look at the first half of that chapter today. So if you would turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. We're also going to be talking about this idea of surprises, but I'll say this, and you can even see this on the screen behind me. The real theme of what we're looking at today is this idea of not being surprised. And I have to admit, um, I'm kind of at the the point where I'm starting to feel like nothing surprises me anymore. And uh, and so we'll take a look at this idea of not being surprised as we look at 1 Thessalonians 5 today. So again, take your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians 5, starting with verse 1. And this is what it says here in this portion of God's Word. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of your word this morning And Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of your word, that we would understand it, that we would grow from it, that we would be built up in our relationship with you through it, and that ultimately our hearts would be encouraged as we seek to be men and women after your own heart. Lord, thank you for giving us access to your word, and we're grateful, Lord, to be able to carve out some time just to think about these things. We know, Lord, that that throughout the course of our days, throughout the course of a week, there are all sorts of things that come into our mind and occupy our thinking. But yet, in this moment, you've given us the opportunity to think about who you are and what you do and what you have in store. So we pray, Lord, that our minds would be ready to receive that truth, that our hearts would be ready to receive that truth as well. And we just commit this time to your care and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So people might think this is weird, and I I recognize that I do multiple weird things, so maybe at this point people would not think this is weird, or maybe they would just accept it. I don't know. Um, But one of the things uh, that we talk a lot about with our kids, particularly as they have been, uh, you know, one at a time moving into uh, adulthood, um, is finances and how to manage their finances. So we're very open with the kids about our family finances. So that means, just like I did this week, I got a, a statement uh, related to my retirement. Uh, you know, it was sent to me in the mail. And so I open that up and I share that with the family. Does that seem weird, you know, to share those details with your, your teenage children? Um, I share, you know, all the details. So they, they also know how much I owe on our mortgage. They know how much I have in my checking account. 
They know how much I earn and how much I give and specifically what I'm invested in. And uh, I figure that the best way that my wife and I will be able to teach our children biblical stewardship is by being honest and transparent about what we're choosing to do. And from what I can tell, it seems to be working. So I mentioned that to kind of point something out that came out of a conversation uh, that I had with uh, one of my sons in particular this week. But it kind of leads back to to something that happened several weeks ago. Uh, My sons were talking to me about investment things, and they chose to invest some of their earnings in one of the investments that I'm utilizing. And after several weeks of growth and feeling like, hey, this is really working out well and feeling like maybe it was kind of, you know, the best financial decisions of their, their lives, recent news reports have kind of had an impact on the market, right? Markets dipped just a little bit. And we were talking about this the other day. I was talking about this with one of my sons in particular. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, do these market fluctuations worry you? And he said, yeah, they do, a little at least. And then he asked me, he said, all right, well, are you worried? And I said, not in the least. And he said, why? And I said, well, I've seen this play out a hundred times in my life. And when the panic fades, I suspect that the markets and everything else will recover like it has in the past. And I said, actually, smart investors right now are rejoicing over this dip because they're thinking, hey, this is an opportunity to buy everything while it's on sale, while everything's temporarily down. Now, I don't want to sound like a cynic. And you know what happens as you get older, right? You start to find it a little bit easier to sound cynical, okay? So I might sound a little cynical, even the title of the message today, right? You know, this, I have some creative license as I title what I'm, I'm speaking on on a Sunday morning, right? So even titling today's message, nothing surprises me anymore, may make me sound a little bit cynical. But I seem to be getting to that season of my life where I just don't feel as surprised by really anything at this point. I'm not surprised by the latest cause of panic. It just doesn't surprise me. I don't know if I just feel numb to it. It just, I'm like, whatever. You know, yet again, another thing that we all decide to freak out about at the same time. I'm not surprised by trends. I'm not surprised by depravity, although sometimes there are a few things that have caught me off guard. Um, The more you read Scripture and the more you become uh, familiar with the history of humanity, the more you begin to realize, just like Scripture teaches us, there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. People do what people do. And I point that out as we look at the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, because when we look at this Scripture, it also shows us that God's going to do what God does, right? People do what people do, but God's going to do what God does. And in fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as we looked at the first 11 verses, the Lord reveals through the Apostle Paul more of the specifics of what he has in store and how we can be prepared for what he has in store to unfold. None of it needs to catch us off guard, and none of, it, none of it needs to surprise us. So as we look at this portion of Scripture, we're going to be talking about things that we don't need to be surprised by. And one of the things is this, we don't need to be surprised by Christ's return. Look at what it says in the first three verses. Let me reread these things. It says here, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware 
that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. When I was a child, I've mentioned this before, but when I was a child, my family owned a neighborhood grocery store in Scranton, Pennsylvania. It was a business started by my great-grandfather, and then my grandfather took it over, and then my father took it over from him. And I had the opportunity growing up to work in that grocery store for, for quite a few years. And when you own a business, you need to be aware that things like shoplifting and other forms of theft are going to hurt profitability. And so for that reason, our family took some very obvious precautions, the type of precautions that probably most grocery stores took at the time. But we were not prepared for one particular thief. There was a thief that robbed the store that we were not prepared for. In fact, I remember one morning when my father arrived to the store, he got to the store and he opened it up and something wasn't right. And as he walked in and went up toward the register, he looked up And apparently during the night, a thief had cut a hole in the roof of the building, lowered himself down right about where the registers were, and you could see his footprints. I still remember seeing the dirty footprints on the counters and and everything there that he lowered himself down on. He took an axe to the register and cut it open. He just hacked at it until it opened, and there was some money in it, but not a ton and they didn't really keep the money in the registers overnight, just kind of the basic amount to get the, the register started the next morning. But he hacked it open, took the money that was in the register, and I guess probably had a rope that he climbed back up or maybe went out a door somehow. I don't remember how he got back out, but I just remember everybody being amazed. We did not think that was going to happen. None of us thought somebody would cut a hole in the roof of the building and then lower themselves in. But that is, in fact, what happened. From that point on, they always left the registers open at night. In case someone ever broke into the building again, they thought that was expensive to replace the register. It was more money than the money that was in it uh, to replace it. And so they would just leave. It was the rule. Leave the registers open at night in case, you know, someone cuts a hole in the roof and lowers himself in and hacks it open. You know, you don't want them to hack it open, right? But when you look at this portion of Scripture that we just reread a, a moment ago, in this passage, Paul describes the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night. That's the phrase that he uses, like a thief in the night. This, by the way, is the same analogy that Jesus used in Matthew 24. I don't know if you've read Matthew 24 anytime recently. I'd encourage you to read it because Jesus uses uh, analogies there to describe the time of his return. He talks about end times, uh, you know, topics in Matthew chapter 24. And I want to show you verses 43 and 44 of Matthew 24, because they say this. This is the words of Christ. He says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So he doesn't tell us when he is coming, but he tells us that he's coming. So we're not surprised by Christ's return, but Jesus says, be ready. And so you have the Apostle Paul echoing this as he's speaking to the Thessalonians. He's speaking to them about what he calls here as the day of the Lord. Now, you probably remember from when we were studying the book of Joel, that term comes up, that phrase, it comes up all throughout the book of Joel, but it's not... 
It's not, it's not just, you know, something Paul spoke about. It's not just something Joel spoke about. In fact, when you read through Scripture, you see in the book of Isaiah, the day of the Lord is referenced in the book of Joel, which we just mentioned, also in the book of Amos, also in Zephaniah. Then you have Jesus speaking of, the, of, of that period of time. You have the Apostle Paul talking about that time. This is also the period of time that the, the Apostle John elaborated on in the book of Revelation. It's a time of blessing and a time of judgment. It's both. It has aspects of both. It's a time of blessing and a time of judgment. Those who trust in Christ will experience the joys of being part of His kingdom forever. And those who have rejected Christ will experience the outcome of choosing to remain under the wrath of God. If Jesus returned today, think about this in a personal way, not just in a historical or theological way, but if Jesus returned today... Would you personally be caught off guard by that? Would you be caught off guard if you returned today? Would his return surprise you? Would you be surprised by it? How about this? Think about this for a second. Would you be disappointed or delighted if today was the day being referenced in these passages? Would you be disappointed or delighted if today was the day being referenced here? You know, do, do you ever, do you find, are you still at that point of life where you're like, yeah, but I hope to still do this and still do this and still do this? Remember when I was younger, I had a list of all the things I hoped to do before Christ returned, as if anything on that list would be better than being in his presence forever, right? Kind of short-sighted on my part, but I'm probably not the only one that's thought that way. I have to say, though, at this season of my life, I'm, I'm at the point where I would be absolutely delighted if he returned today. I'd be absolutely delighted, totally ready for it. But if you return today, even though I'd be delighted, I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. I've been looking forward to his return for years. I believe scripture when it tells us that the day's coming. I would consider it a privilege to be part of the generation that gets to see that on this side of the grave. What a blessing that would be. I would not be surprised by Christ's return. None of us need to be surprised by Christ's return. He tells us he's coming. We don't know the hour, but he tells us that the event will take place and we don't need to be surprised by that. And Paul was talking about that here with the Thessalonians as he's, as he's winding up this book. He's saying, I'm just telling you this is coming. I'm telling you it's coming. We don't know when, but I'm telling you this is coming. Christ is returning. Be ready for his return. Something else that he brings up here that I think is useful for us in just a practical day-to-day aspect of walking out our faith and living with Christ, and that's this. We don't need to be spooked by walking in darkness. It's this other area of surprise, right, that he brings up here, or one of several. But it's this idea of walking in darkness, and he's teaching us here, we don't need to be spooked by walking in darkness. Let me reread verses 4 and 5. He says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. I love that, that group of verses there. I love that phraseology. We are not of the night or of the darkness. I remember about 12 years ago in the early days of, of the work of Core Creek here, um, I remember during that season we were experiencing a lot of vandalism. 
in the parking lot. A lot of crime, a lot of vandalism in the parking lot. It was becoming something that was starting to really irritate me. We had a couple small fires that people set in the parking lot. Other, you know, sometimes I'd come here in the morning and be a smashed glass all over, all over the parking lot, you know, all sorts of things. And I got to the point where I thought, I remember once someone ripped all the lights off the building. I was like, oh, that one's lovely. They just ripped all the lights off the building. And uh, I, I was starting to get sick of it. And I, I decided, you know what? I need to be the sheriff. You know, need to be the sheriff. And I got in the habit of every night before I went to bed, I would drive over here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I live about eight minutes away, and I was like, it's not that far. And I'd drive over here. It was my last thing on my list at night. I'd come over and stop whatever crime or loitering or whatever was happening. And usually it was minor things. Sometimes it wasn't. One time, awkwardly, I interrupted a drug deal. Not exaggerating, not, not kidding. In, in the first two parking spots on the right side here, I interrupted a drug deal. I didn't know I was about to do that, but uh, as I pulled up, I see one car face this way and another car face this way, and they're exchanging these things through the window, and uh, the car that was facing this way, as soon as I pulled in, zipped out of the driveway here, and the car that was facing the other way, I happened to get their license plate, and, um, you know, it was a way to communicate to those that had ill intention, you will get caught. You think that you can come here at night park in a building that has a lot behind the building, so the darkness of night and then the building itself blocking your activity. But my goal was to say, some weird guy's going to show up in his Honda Civic, and he's going to shine the high beams in his car on you, and he's going to write your license plate down, and you're going to get caught. You're going to get caught. You're going to be seen. And here you have the Apostle Paul talking about this idea of darkness and walking in darkness. Because when people are walking in darkness, you know, when they're, they're engaged in the activity of darkness, trying to do things under the cover of darkness, they go about life in such a way as to produce shame and regret. That's what he's getting at here when he talks about this and he paints this picture. Now, Scripture, when it's speaking of darkness here, it's speaking of, of, of being in a state of rejection of the Lord. You know, where you're just rejecting the Lord, going things about your own way. It's a state of living in disbelief. And when a person is living in darkness, that ultimately means that they are convinced that their heart will only find joy and will only find satisfaction through indulging their fleshly appetites. And many people that I know and many people that you know are still convinced that their hearts will only find joy, that they will only find happiness, that they'll only find satisfaction through indulging their fleshly appetites. It's a manner of living that produces regret. It's a manner of living that produces pain. It's a manner of living that ultimately produces death, but that usually only becomes apparent once the damage is done. But through Christ, the Scripture reveals to us, we are empowered to walk in the light. And in this passage, you have believers being called children of the light. They're called two things here, right? Children of the light and children of the day. So you notice your nickname here, right? If you're in Christ, you're a child of the light, you're a child of the day. We're children of the light, children of the day, because we've been cleansed of our sin. We've, we've been set free from our slavery to it. When we stop giving into it, the fruit of godly integrity becomes more obvious in our lives as we live as children of the day. You know, the Scripture also is revealing to us that we don't need to have a hidden life because we've moved from trying to be our own Lord to true life, where we accept Christ as our Lord. And so this is something that the Apostle Paul was encouraging the Thessalonians to continue to embrace, 
to continue to understand they once were children of darkness. They once were children of evil. But he says, look, the Lord's brought you into his kingdom. He has made you children of the day. He's made you children of the light. You don't need to walk in darkness any longer. You don't need to proceed in the direction that you were once going in. You don't need to live a life where you're trying to use sinful things of this world to satisfy a void in your soul and then find out when it's too late, oh, those things don't work. They only produce more regret. They only produce pain. I thought it would produce joy. It produced pain. It produces regret. He's saying, listen, you don't need to go in that direction. You're a child of the light. You don't need to walk in the darkness. And there's another analogy that he uses to kind of build off that, and it's this idea of not being caught sleeping, not being caught drunk. Now, he's using these things in an analogy way. He's not saying, you know, today it's daylight savings, right? I don't know which one today is, right? Is today daylight savings or daylight wastings? Which one are we at? We're, we're one of them, right? Um, but, you know, I, I think it's funny to be looking at this uh, on, on a Sunday when people have lost an hour of sleep, right? Uh, but he, he uses this analogy of, of being caught sleeping or being caught drunk. Look at how he phrases it here. He says, so then, it's not, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, we live in an era where home delivery is pretty much becoming a primary source of business for many large companies. And I mentioned my father's grocery store earlier. I'll mention it one more time. Uh, We were ahead of the game with that. We offered home delivery long before Amazon even existed, right? That was something that, you know, a neighborhood grocery store in Scranton, Pennsylvania did back in the day. And so, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I I would deliver a whole bunch of things, and they always hired delivery drivers. And I remember at one point, my father had hired a particular delivery driver. He had, at this point, taken the business over from my grandfather, but my grandfather would still come to the store and hang out. And so, you know, my dad hires this delivery driver. My grandfather happened to be at the store the one day when the delivery driver arrived, and he arrived drunk. The delivery, imagine this, the delivery driver arrived drunk, and he starts walking in, and he comes in through the back door into the area where the meat counter was and the the meat department, and my grandfather takes one look at him, and then he catches a whiff, and he says, you're drunk, and the guy looks at him and tries to deny it, and my grandfather goes, mind you, my grandfather's retired at this point, he goes to the man, get out, you're fired, get out, and my dad's in his office, and he's trying to figure out, what is the commotion? What, what's my dad yelling about? And he comes out, and he's like, Dad, what are you doing? And he said, uh, yeah, so here's the thing. <laughs> I just fired your delivery driver. And my dad's like, you just did what? <laughs> he's like, I just fired your driver. He came in drunk. And uh, so <laughs> my grandfather said to my dad, and I think he even tossed him the keys. He's like, so looks like you're delivering today. And my dad said, that's fine. Tossed him an apron. He's like, looks like you're cutting meat today. And uh, my grandfather's like, oh, I didn't think that part through. <laughs> and so literally, he called my grandmother on the phone. He said, hey, Ruth, uh, I'm not going to be coming home today. <laughs> I have to work at the store. I need to cut meat. She's like, all right, whatever you need to do. I thought it was funny. And I, I even called my dad the other day to confirm the details of that. I said, dad, do I have this right? Am I remembering this right? He's like, oh, yeah, that was the best. <laughs> it's funny now. It wasn't funny that day, right? 
And in this passage, you have the Apostle Paul referencing the state of drunkenness and referencing the state of sleep. And what he's talking about here, he's using these things as analogies. These are analogies that he's drawing here. And it's the idea of being caught off guard and ignorant of the Lord. That's what he's getting at. You know, he's using things we would be familiar with seeing to make a spiritual comparison. He wants us to understand something on a deeper level. This idea of being caught off guard, being ignorant of the Lord. When a person is drunk, they are not alert. When a person's deep in sleep, they're oblivious to the things going on around them. And he's saying, don't be oblivious to the things of the Lord. Don't be unaware of the things of the Lord. So Paul's challenging the church here to be sober-minded. And by the way, he's challenging them to be sober-minded in obvious ways and also in ways that probably aren't quite as obvious. Now, in some of Paul's other writings, he, he speaks about these things, but he explains that there's actually a spiritual battle taking place all around us all the time, that it could actually, even though it's happening all around us all the time, it could actually be very easy to miss if we're not inclined to think about things from a spiritual perspective. And so to prepare us for the battle that we're right now in the midst of against spiritual forces that are aligned with Satan, the Lord has equipped His children. He makes us children of the day, but He's also equipped us for what we're enduring. I'm not going to take us to this passage. I'll just give you the reference if you want to look it up later. But in Ephesians chapter 6, you have the Apostle Paul going into details about that spiritual battle. And in that passage, he also talks about the, the armor that the Lord has given us as believers. This is a topic that we tend to teach children because it paints a, a good word picture. But there's a very deep thing taking place here, a very real spiritual battle. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul uses a similar phrase to what he uses here. There he talks about a breastplate, like he talks about a breastplate here in 1 Thessalonians 5. There he references this breastplate. He calls it the breastplate of righteousness, that the Lord has equipped us in this spiritual battle with armor, the breastplate of righteousness being one of the pieces. It's a piece we've been given to guard our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 5, he also mentions a breastplate, but he references it here as a breastplate of faith and love. And he also talks here about this idea of the helmet of the hope of salvation. So here he's talking about something that guards our heart and something that guards our mind. And I think he's using these word pictures here as a reminder that our hearts and our minds need to be guarded from the schemes of Satan, which seek to penetrate both areas. So Satan is always, I believe, attempting to attack my mind and attack my heart. He's trying to influence the way I think. He's trying to capture my affections. He's doing that not just to me. He's doing that to all of us, right? He's seeking to do that in, in multiple ways. He wants to steer the affections of our heart. He wants to steer the meditations of our minds. And he wants to steer them away from Christ and away from the truth of the gospel. But since we've been made children of the day through Jesus Christ, we're empowered by Christ. Meaning we have the power of Christ to resist the darkness of evil. Which also means, as Paul's explaining here, we don't need to be caught sleeping or drunk in the midst of this spiritual struggle any longer. We've been made alert. We've been made strong. We've been given uh, defensive weaponry and the offense of the Word of God. We've been equipped for the spiritual battle that we're in the midst of. And so Paul's trying to bolster the people of Thessalonica to understand these things and keep in mind 
they would be, they were people whose faith was, was genuinely tested in the midst of the context that they were, that they were in. And, you know, you and I at times in life are going to be tested. I, I, I won't mention anyone by name, but I'll just mention the story briefly. Uh, one of the parents here in our church uh, recently asked if uh, some of the church leaders would be praying for their child because their child was dealing with a form of persecution through friends who were, were just, you know, really on his case about his faith. And when you look at this here, you know, I, I'm, in my mind, I thought, you know, how wonderful that that child is being open about his faith to the point where people would say, hey, I noticed that you're a Christian so much that I'm going to have something to say about it. I was really proud that one of the children of our church was, was dealing with that in the sense that they must be pretty open about their faith if somebody would get on their case about it. And here, you know, we're reminded that in the midst of the spiritual battle that we're dealing with, we don't need to be caught sleeping, we don't need to be caught drunk because we've been equipped and we've been awakened, and the Lord is our strength. And there's one other thing that Paul brings up, and this is where I want to finish today, and that's this. He reveals to us that our future life with Christ does not need to be something that is unknown to us. It doesn't need to be something that is unknown to us. Look at what it says in verses 9 through 11. We're told, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. When I'm planning to see a movie, I have a curious habit that I think my family either finds entertaining or annoying. I haven't done the follow-up to find out if they find it annoying. Uh, But they know that if I want to go see a movie, don't say anything else about it to dad. Don't say anything else about it. Because once I've made up my mind that I want to see it, I don't want to know anything about it from that point on. Now, I have a few friends in my life who always spoil movies for me when they find out that I want to go see it. So I've learned, tell them nothing. Tell them nothing. If I'm interested in going to see a movie, don't tell them because they will have seen it first and they will spoil it, right? Uh, So I just keep it to myself. I actually am at a point where I don't want people to know what movies I want to go see. uh, And I try and, you know... I try and avoid spoilers, right? I don't like spoilers. However, when it comes to my own life, I don't like surprises. I like surprises with a movie. I don't like it in my life. I don't want any, I don't want any surprises in my life. I like being prepared. Um, so I want to know as much as I possibly can ahead of time. And I'm actually grateful that the Lord includes some spoilers in his word regarding the movie of our lives. He tells us ahead of time, here's how it's going to go. Now, uh, are you, do you ever, I don't know if, you, if you've ever read this book, do you ever read the book The Time Machine by H.G. Wells? Have you at least heard of it? It's considered a classic at this point. I remember in sixth grade, I went and bought the book. I wasn't even required to read it. I just went and bought the book. And uh, I read The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. It just sounded like a cool idea. And I thought, all right, I'm just going to read this. And uh, so I read it. I I remember enjoying it. But I read something recently about H.G. Wells, who wrote the book. Certainly not something I knew at the time. Um, But he was a British novelist. And he got to the point where he started to grow very despairing regarding the fate of humanity. He became very pessimistic. 
And one evening at dinner, apparently, Wells kind of laid out the picture of what he thought was going to take place for those that were sitting there listening to him. And he, he basically said, this was his theory. He says, mankind had failed because evolution had failed to produce in us the right kind of brain. And he said, therefore, we will destroy ourselves. We will die out as a species. We will revert to the mud and slime from which we arose. And then he said this, and this is a direct quote. He said, and we shall deserve our fate, or and we will deserve our fate. I think that's how he said it. And we will deserve our fate, adding that the human race, according to him, he said the human race has no more than a thousand years left, and we're just going to we're just going to destroy ourselves. And that was that. <laughs> that's what he thought, you know, the author of the time machine. This is what he foresaw, right? This is what he thought. Well, I have to say this. If my greatest hope was in the theory of evolution to rescue humanity, I'd feel the same exact way. If I thought our hope for the future rested on human effort, I'd feel the same exact way. I'd be filled with despair as well. If those were the things I was banking on, I would feel the exact same way as H.G. Wells. But God's Word, even when we look at what we just read together from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, God's Word paints a more hopeful picture than that for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11 tells us that God's children are not destined for wrath. We're not destined for wrath. Rather, through faith in Christ, we will obtain the outcome of our salvation, which is eternal joy as objects of God's affection. And we're also reminded here, Paul doesn't want us to forget how that transaction came to pass, so he reminds us here of the price Christ paid to be able to offer us this specific outcome. He endured death so that through him we can experience true life. And I don't grow tired of reading that, and I don't grow tired of preaching about it, and I don't grow tired of talking about it with others who also find that truth refreshing to their heart. as a very refreshing truth. And in fact, Paul told the church at Thessalonica to encourage one another and build one, one another up in the knowledge of these things. And in fact, that's something that we're to do as well, because there are moments when you and I are tempted to despair. Sometimes a few things hit you all at once, and it feels like everything's crumbling, or you, you feel like all of a sudden, you know, the world's gone crazy, and you think, all right, how do I wrap my mind around this? And so there are times when we're tempted to despair, and then you kind of just step back. Sometimes I find it just helpful, just step back for a minute. You step back from a minute and think about things, not just from the moment in time, but the big picture that we've already been told about, our future, our future life with Christ is not unknown to us. And we're to encourage one another with this truth. And sometimes you're the one that needs that extra dose of encouragement from your brother or sister in Christ who reminds you of these things when you forget it. And sometimes they need you to encourage them with these very things. And as we go back and forth, what do we end up doing? We end up building one another up in the certain hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're designed to do. That's what we're called to do. That's part of the mission that we've been given as the Lord has called us unto Himself. So let me say this as we finish up today. There are lots of things that we could kind of look at and say, all right, that's surprising, that's surprising. But really, in the end, the big things are not left to be a surprise. So don't be surprised when the day comes and the very things that God has prom been promising us for generations come to pass. Because the day's coming, 
It will happen exactly as God has revealed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together and to think about these things and to meditate on the perspective of hope that we have because of our relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, who's restored us and taken us from despair and damnation and eternal death and has brought us to the place of life through faith in Him because He endured the death that we deserved on the cross. And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that You have all sorts of good things in store for us. Lord, it's fascinating when we look at this portion of Scripture. It's so helpful in the midst of of seasons that can test us or exhaust us or feel stressful to us. So helpful when we see our children enduring ridicule or persecution. So helpful when we're sometimes feeling like we're, we're slaves to whatever media story has gripped our attention in any given moment. Lord, thank you for giving us the privilege to just step beyond those things for half a second and think about what you really have in store. So, Lord, we're grateful for the hopeful future that we have, and we're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to encourage one another with these truths. We know, Lord, that when we gather together to worship you, that's a part of what we're doing as we sing these things in song. We're, we're worshiping you, and we're being encouraged by just the recitation together of the lyrics that remind us of our hope. As we study your word, we're being encouraged in hope as well. As we encourage one another through conversation, we have uh, just a sense of hope being fostered among us. As we interact with our children, we can remind them of of the fact that through our, our perspective, since we've been around a little bit longer, we can see that things are kind of cyclical. And so, Lord, we're, we're just grateful for a portion of Scripture like this that shows us that when it comes to the big things, we don't need to be surprised. You've got it all under control. And Lord, our confidence is in you in the midst of all sorts of things. Our confidence is not in any man-made theory. Our confidence is not in ourselves to kind of right every wrong or save the day. It's not really our job. Our job is to trust in you and to represent you as the one who, it, who has saved the day, the one who does restore creation, the one who promises to return, the one who rights everything that we've made wrong. And so we're grateful for that, Lord. We're just grateful for a hopeful portion of Scripture like you've allowed us to be able to look at together today as we begin our week. We can look at something like this and be encouraged by it fresh. Even though it's maybe something that that some of us are familiar with, sometimes it's nice to bring these things back from the, the file cabinet in the back of our mind, bringing it all back to the forefront of our mind so we could think about these things anew. So, Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for encouraging us with it. And we pray that by your grace, you'd help us to walk with you in the light that you have called us unto. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.